Welcome to the Just for Kicks podcast. We have a blockbuster set of fixtures coming up, mostly this Sunday in the English Premier League. We're going to talk about them. We're going to talk about all those matchups. We're going to talk about what we just saw in the English Premier League. We're going to take you around Europe as well as the MLS, tell you the latest, what's going on in Syria, what's going on in La Liga, and of course, all the massive fixtures and surprising results from the Champions League in midweek. But first, I wanted to do messy injury watch for the second week in a row, but it seems things may be in dire straits for Miami for the rest of the season, and instead of contemplate and try to read tea leaves, it I think we'll just leave it at until otherwise noted. I don't think we're going to be seeing Lionel Messi for the rest of this campaign. Is that is that correct? There's some new news today that he might make it for the Argentina internationals um, next weekend. But yeah, it's still day to day. It feels very touch and go. I'm kind of getting to the point. I'll believe it when I see it for Messi returning this season. I thought he was shut down, man. Yeah, they definitely haven't shut him down yet, but it feels like we're kind of living on a prayer. (laughs) We're halfway there. Um so, given that I just referenced that Bon Jovi song, we have to flip the script completely, and this is a good chance to... Yeah, I'm sorry I started that. ...alleviate all the negative vibes from, you know, what may be happening to those ticket holders who now might not see Lionel Messi in their hometown, but, you know, no reason to fear. We shall see. Day to day, we'll keep it at that. Steve has much more positive news than I do. He clearly has uh, more beat reporter contacts in South Florida, a place I am apparently no longer allowed to go. (laughs) You can't just leave that. (laughs) But again, going back to the living on a prayer reference, several of our friends, friends of the podcast, friends of the pod and enemies of the pod, um, who had very, very, very hot takes on this question we asked last week, which was who is a band that in your youth or, you know, around, you know, 16 through 24, let's just say that. Yeah, 16 through 22, that you loved, but their latter day sins have completely obfuscated the joy you once felt for them. And you're scared to even listen to those old bangers because there's such a stink around them now. Steve, I think we reached a consensus. And would listen, anything that brings anyone joy, we support. We're of a different time. We're relics of a different age. We have very specific taste. But for us, other than the obvious question, which transcends actual musical output and is really about ethics, and that is LCD sound system, I think we've arrived at a consensus to the answer to this question. Have we not? Uh, I believe so, but these are not my words. Are they not your words? Did you not come to this? No, and you're not going to make me say it either. Okay. (laughs) Well, I think they may, we'll give you a hint. They're so cool that in an effort to still look like they're just one of the guys despite the double decker buses they put duct tape that says k o l on their drum riser um i'm speaking of course of kings of leon who released the amazing amazing youth and young manhood followed up by another amazing record aha shake heartbreak king of the rodeo changed my life maybe it didn't change my life it could have i'm leaving that door open the bucket my God, it was like the Strokes meets like folksy Tennessee rock. Like it was just, 
It was the Americana Strokes. I'll just put it that way. I mean, how do you do that? It's insane. Those guys, those guys were throwing 95 mile per hour heat. They were dropping in, you know, curled free kicks from 25 yards out. Yeah, and if this podcast isn't worth its weight in salt unless we love the song Four Kicks. Yes, of course, of course. But third record, a little boring. Fourth record, well, I think you have a feeling how we uh, are going to go on this one. But anyways, on a more positive note, I did get a care package today because I am recovering from a... uh, illness that will not be disclosed uh, on this podcast of records. And I, I want I want Steve to weigh in, and I want our listeners to send messages about how much they like these records. I'm going to start with maybe my favorite New Year's Eve show I have ever been to. And that, my friends, was Mac DeMarco. Is there a better record than Salad Days? I'm not saying it's the greatest record of all time, but can you tell me a record that is definitively better? I think it's definitely Mac's greatest record. Um, that was ever present back in the day. It's a very good choice, very good pick. Such a great record. And then a quintessential L.A. record produced by Rick Rubin. Um, I think these guys hold up at the Chateau Marmont while they were making it. That, my friends, is deloused in the comatorium by the Mars Volta, who have reached reached an, a new level of fame because Cedric Bixler's Zavala's um, you know, fierce fierce advocacy against the Church of Scientology and the damaging things they've done to many people close to him. Um, I'm not trying to get sued, but uh, yeah, there's that. Also, from all my Kansas City Chiefs fans, Taylor Swift's Midnight. Hey, don't hate. Don't hate. Somebody also sent me this record because they don't think I already have it. But hey, it was immediately accessible. So is The Wizard of Oz. Pink Floyd's dark side of the moon. Steve, I got two more. What are your thoughts so far? Is Taylor your favorite one? Uh, dark side of the moon is actually a perfect segue. I know we're about to circle back, so maybe we'll have to incept this, but Salernitana did a typho this weekend for the anniversary of that record. Um, really? Yeah, their fans did some crazy choreography for uh, dark side of the moon and or the wall. I forget exactly how it went. So yeah, Pink Floyd and footy. More pageantry, more pomp and circumstance, a little more interesting than when the city fans just dump the uh, closer Joy Division flag on like half the left stand. That's pretty cool. Um, and then wrapping up, I got a Hot Water Music 7-inch. If you don't know who Hot Water Music is, well, <laughs> you've been listening to too much hip-hop and heavy metal. Um, finally, finally, the greatest album of the 2000s, Strokes, Is This It, has been released with New York City Cops as the ninth track. If you have the old vinyl, make sure to get the new one. And lastly, my most cherished possession, the quadruple vinyl of Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Damn, banger. It's just, it's just too good. It's just too good. And it, it, it's brilliant in its presentation. Like, this, it, this could be a coffee table book. Like, this is, this is great. This is great. So, Stephen, of all those records, what's your favorite? What's your least favorite? What do you want to steal? What do you want to borrow? And what do you wish I'd been sent? Personal favorite of that allotment has got to be Is This It? Melancholy is probably, well, I mean, Dark Side of the Moon's the best. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It's tough, man. It's uh, tough. 
Let's go best favorite in the one uh, you haven't listened to in the longest, so you probably put on your record player first. What was the last? And Taylor's, Taylor's, Taylor. Um, I'm going to leave you with Taylor. I will not steal that one from you. And I don't know. I could get down with some Mac DeMarco again. That was a very specific time in my life. Yeah, it was great. It was great. If you were to send, I don't know, if you were to send your lovely partner a care package of records, if you had to pick three, what would they be? If I had to pick three records, ooh, um, what have I been listening to lately? We're going to go all over the place. We're going to do a little Tijuana Moods by Charles Mingus. Um, Cornell 77 by The Grateful Dead. Oh, no, take that one back. Wake Up and Find Out by The Grateful Dead. It's got uh, Branford Marsalis Ooh. on saxophone, something very rare in the Grateful Dead catalog. And then the last thing we'll do is... Wait, is that the one where they open with Dark Star? Uh, no. That is a Jack Straw opener, and it's a banger. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Can you imagine how, how heady it would be to open with Dark Star? <laughs> and then lastly... Um, been doing oasis in and out here so we'll go definitely maybe Ooh, definitely maybe over what's the story morning glory for now we're gonna we're gonna crawl further down this rabbit hole are you like a live forever rock and roll star guy or like do you love shaker maker do you love supersonic like or do you just love the whole damn thing uh, i love the whole damn thing i'm an alcohol and cigarettes boy <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think there's a time in everyone's life where they experience that phenomenon. They're like, yeah, no girls like me, so I just turned to alcohol and cigarettes. Right? <laughs> I'm not sure that was the motive, but uh, to use their own. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's I, I think that's literally the lyrics. Um, in full disclosure, I was, I was quoting, quoting Cedric when I said, you're listening to too much hip-hop or heavy metal. Those are two genres that I, I absolutely adore. Um, but anyways, we'll wrap up the music conversation before circling back to it. But, um, thanks to all the listeners who encouraged us to, uh, continue our hate and we decided to flip that into some positivity. So that's apropos. It's about a solid 12 minutes and 51 seconds of music talk. Shout out the strokes. Yeah. I'm sure we'll chop it down in post. Um, if you're hearing me say, I'm sure we'll chop it down in post. We didn't chop it down in post, (laughs) but anyways, let's just go straight the EPL action this weekend, and we'll reflect on what happened last weekend within the context of examining these games. I mean, the match of the weekend has to be Arsenal-Manchester City. Arsenal, three points the wiser than City after they crashed and dropped points against none other than Wolves. Um, I didn't see this coming. I've seen them look very vulnerable against mediocre teams, um, including Burnley to start the season. After they equalized, I just could not fathom Wolves striking back. Are there fundamental issues, you know, that are kind of kind of eroding their play? Is the lack of depth, the lack of KDB, is that are people kind of looking around at the guys that used to have been there, you know, whether it's Gunduan or KDB? who usually kind of rally the troops in those moments? Or is it just premature to harp on a team, no matter who they lose to, that's won something like five bajillion straight matches coming into this that mattered? Yeah, when the lineups came out, uh, they had Nunez and Kovacic playing in midfield, and 
this is Man City, obviously, and I immediately thought to myself, there, there's a growing hole there. Um, obviously, Rodri is out from his suspension, mm-hmm. and that's in addition to KDB and Bernardo Silva coming back from injury. And, you know, we're talking about three world-class players. Um, if those are the missing pieces for City, maybe that's how they become vulnerable. And I was with you once Alvarez equalized and that free kick was amazing. Oh my God. I was thinking to myself, just for drama's sake, please wolves just hang on. Mm-hmm. Little did I know that they were going to get a winner and poetically <laughs> from the Korean guy as um, Pep Guardiola absentmindedly called he Chen Wang. Ooh, woof. I missed that. Yeah, it was a pretty uncomfortable presser and yeah, a very poetic ending for wolves you know what a difference a week makes they were (laughs) drawing luton and suddenly they're beating the best team on the planet but yeah to your question like i i think the depth is being tested um with kdb and rodri out and the replacement for gundawan isn't going quite that well and especially not as well as they had hoped um considering they're having to piece it together in more positions than one I mean, Kovic is just a great player, but he doesn't score goals. I mean, Gundogan, you know, is so much more versatile and allows them so much more flexibility. Again, older, played in some really, really complex systems with Germany. It takes a very long time to adapt to the city system. But I can't ever see Kovacic being a like-for-like replacement for Gundogan. I can't see him filling in for... um, KDB in that role, or even, you know, understanding the nuances of how City approaches the press and replacing Rodri in midfield. Again, these are all very, very tall tasks. I'm talking about guys that were mainstays of maybe the most dominant team of the most competitive era of the best league in the history of club soccer. But that is the ridiculously high standard they have set. And that's what we have to compare it to. And you could see the desperation from Pep Guardiola as he subbed out Kovacic and put in Kevin Phillips. And Pep was in the stands because he got suspended. And I am convinced he got suspended on purpose because he was on accumulation so that he could make sure he was on the sideline for Arsenal. For this match. I'm I'm convinced of it. Yeah. Um, And it was awkward seeing him in the stands next to City Brass as this was all unfolding. Um, but that leads us up to a rematch of what was supposed to be the blockbuster match of last season, the title decider, Arsenal-Manchester City. You know, Arsenal came to play, but City played like a team possessed. And I think it was pretty evident after probably the second goal, because, you know, uh, Saka and Odegaard had some pretty decent chances. There was some fluid build-up play. But, yeah, what was the what was the final result? Was it 3-0? Did they get one back at the end? Uh, the second match was 4-1. The first one was 3-1, I believe. Yeah, um, 4-1. Um, and Arsenal is coming off just a heartbreaking loss to Lons. City's coming off a... Devastating setback. Again, it's early, but these are the fixtures you want to win um, against Wolves. Let's talk about the Lons match. What do you think happened there? Was it just a little funky 
midweek action that might have been overlooked. Was this kind of your typical Champions League trap game? You're going on the road. You think it's going to be easy. The other team really, really plays beyond their means. And by the time that your team seems to realize what it's going to take to actually overcome and win this match, it's just too late. Or were they just outclassed? I thought it was a pretty even match. Lance played really, really well. They were incredibly compact and organized. They scored a couple of wonder goals, taking advantage of Arsenal mistakes. And Arsenal wasn't able to take advantage of their few chances. Um, yeah, Lance was able to keep them away pretty well. Brees Samba had a couple amazing saves, and David Raya had a pretty poor distribution error that led to a goal. And yeah, Arsenal scores first on a mistake. Lons calls one back, and then suddenly they hit him on the break, and it's 2-1, and Arsenal can't really overcome. Saka gets injured, but, you know, it, it, it's their first season back in the Champions League. Most of these players have not played in the Champions League. I think that's very much to your point of it being not only their first season, but Lons' first game hosting a Champions League match since, like, 2003. The crowd was electric. The players were very, very um, in tune and well-drilled and obviously well-motivated. And I think, yeah, just you, all the teams in the Champions League are capable of this kind of result. I don't know if Arsenal necessarily let their guard down. It's just they didn't take advantage of their chances and Lons smashed both of theirs in. Um, maybe they're looking a little head to City. I don't know, but I think Lons deserves a lot of... It's hard not to, in all fairness. Yeah, I think Lons deserves a lot of credit, though. And hopefully, you know, second match of the group... Arsenal's still in second thanks to other results. I don't think it's time to panic. They can still take care of business, and hopefully it'll just be a learning experience. Um, a little bit of historical rhyming, hopefully, is the last time Lance was in the Champions League, 02-03. They overcame an early Shevchenko goal to beat the eventual champions, AC Milan, 2-1. to one. So, you know, not saying it's a lock, but it's pretty close. <laughs> Ooh, those were the days. The pre, uh, pre-Chelsea Shevchenko days. Yeah, that team, Lance had a 22-year-old Sedu Keita and now Cameroonian manager Rigobert Song on their team. And they took down the mighty AC Milan with Shevchenko, Pirlo, Maldini, and Seydorf. Quite the list. Yeah, I mean, that team, that nucleus who, you know, famously, you know, went on to... I mean, in 2005 might have been their best team. 2004, 2005 might have been their best season. Um, and, you know, they famously lost to Liverpool in one of the most dramatic Champions League finals ever. But those nucleus of players um, were all in their prime. Our man Carlo Ancelotti was just doing wonders. Um, you know, how he allowed Kaká to develop through that era. Um, you know, I still think he's the greatest alive um, not alive, but the greatest currently managing. And, you know, he, he cut his teeth with that AC Milan side. I do want to say real quick, shout out. The, the Lons crowd was amazing. The atmosphere was great. And they do a thing where they have a look, looks like a fan section that's at the halfway line on the sideline. So the whole match, not just whenever you can see behind the goals, you see these, this crowd like dancing, jumping, waving, and like giant flags and, I don't know. It was a it was an interesting change of pace, and also shout out Brees Samba, the goalkeeper, used to play at Nottingham Forest. Uh, one of my personal faves. He was pretty outstanding. He had his business gloves on. He yeah, he's got business gloves only. Um, 
And before we move along from AC Milan, they're in the middle of a renaissance of their own. Obviously, they won the title two years ago, breaking up Juventus' dynasty over Serie A. They made it to the Champions League semifinals last year in a historic two-legged San Siro matchup with their heated rivals Inter Milan. And as recently as this past weekend, Christian Pulisic's goal. And yeah, that Christian Pulisic, the, the guy who just couldn't break into the Chelsea side, but now is just doing wonders in Italy. Briefly took AC Milan to the top of the table. Inter Milan would later win and resume it. But I don't know. It's, uh, it's a fun time to be an AC Milan fan. And the United States nucleus is doing quite well there thus far. Plus, who doesn't want to watch Rafa Leao? I mean, I like watching him smile even after he's been subbed out. I mean, is there a guy you would want to like hang out with or be like your hype man more than Rafa Leao? <laughs> it's a very short list. But I will say that... Uh especially from an American perspective, AC Milan's one of the most entertaining teams right now. Um, Leal's one of the most electric players in Europe. Plus, I feel like Pulisic and um, Musa are definitely starting to get their groove. Every time I've seen Musa play, he's been great. Yeah. Um, he has. Moving along, another massive matchup this weekend. And again, I would not think that West Ham would ever be included in one of these slated games. But they're back, and they're real. I mean, they, they're consistent. They do work. They're going to be hanging around, and I'm not going to be surprised if they finish in the top six. I mean, gun to head, who do you think finishes higher this season? Manchester United, Chelsea, or West Ham? Oof, that is a good question. I'm going to take... Oh, oh, these are going to make me sound stupid. Um... Okay, but the, again, the point of the exercise, the fact that you have to think about that question after how West Ham ended last season, does I mean, it just speaks to what they've achieved thus far and the massive turnaround taking place at West Ham. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm not considering West Ham, I, but I, I know I'm going to pick wrong between Man United and Chelsea, and the other one's going to finish below West Ham. So <laughs> that's where I'm wondering how dumb I'm going to look. Um uh, yeah, one of them, then West Ham, then the other one. That's how I feel about it. Yeah, well, because somebody's somebody's going to collapse, and West Ham's going to—they feel pretty steady, Eddie, this season. Their only two losses are Liverpool and Man City. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Chelsea's third of the three, and it's a coin flip between United and West Ham. And blind resume test—it'd be really hard to pick anybody other than West Ham. Yeah, West Ham looks really solid. They've got a couple of good um, pins in their hat. Is that a phrase that anyone uses? Yeah, I don't know. And we just used it. You just you just made yeah, it. Yeah, we're coining phrases today. You're a trendsetter. And yeah, like I said, their only two losses are to arguably the two best teams in the division. So yeah, Man United and Chelsea can't say that. And they're playing Newcastle, who you know after some early jitters against some great teams, just beat the brakes off PSG in midweek. Um, they have been awakened from their, you know, kind of middling, trying to figure things out, trying to be a little too sophisticated for their own good slumber, and are back to just the swashbuckling pirates that we have come to love from Newcastle. W was that the match that we're going to be looking back at as the turning point in this season? Or 
Do you still think Newcastle has something to prove given that rough start? I think the rough start's kind of a distant memory at this point. They've really bounced back well. Um, Yeah. They're currently the oil kings. They beat City in the EFL Cup, and they just beat PSG in the Champions League. So, you know, they're the king of that little circle. And, yeah, I I think their schedule softens up a little bit coming up, so they have a chance to really solidify their ground. But West Ham's a really, really solid test for them. Um, I feel like the thing Newcastle struggles with is maybe – breaking teams down that sit in and we all know West Ham will have no hesitation to do that and West Ham's certainly dangerous enough to catch them on the break so um, I think this game is also at the London Stadium so another boon for the Hammers mm-hmm. um, yeah I'm extremely intrigued by this matchup I think it's one of the better matchups of the weekend yeah and then thirdly Brighton Liverpool two teams that had significant setbacks this weekend but for completely different reasons did you see in any universe brighton getting smoked the way they did by aston villa i mean i just assumed that deserby would shut things down and try to play tight after the start but it seemed like they tried to go pound for pound with them and it seemed a little arrogant yeah he looked dumbfounded at 3-1 even after they clawed one back um I must admit, I I thought that Villa was going to win this game. I didn't think it was going to be 6-1 with an Ollie Watkins, like, throw-down hammer hat trick. Um, it's just exactly the kind of opponent that Brighton struggles with for all the love we give them. And I think that they're a really solid candidate this season. Um, they have these kind of games in the bag where, like, they're going to beat you 3-1 or lose 3-1. And you know, Emery does not care. The thing is, they they beat the teams that are ahead of them typically, and they lose the they have the shocks against the teams lower in the division that you know are not as eager to be drawn out against them. And Aston Villa is kind of the perfect medium of those two. They press you, but they also play with the high line. It's very compact, mid block or high block. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they they're the perfect foil. Um, I think this, you know, like we said last week, pretty squarely puts uh, Aston Villa as the litmus test. I think they're sharpied in at sixth. And I think, yeah, this makes me think that Brighton's probably about the seventh best team. I, I thought Aston Villa was really impressive, and they've been really impressive the last few weeks. Yeah, they have. And Liverpool did not lose 6-1. Liverpool playing Tottenham in a match that we thought would really define the identities of each team, really kind of be a separator of sorts, although this is early in the season. And this was a match that was ultimately decided, as the English FA even put it, by the officials with some horrific calls. I mean, I think we can leave the cards and the sending offs up to judgment. I think the Jota sending off was absurd. Um, And the Jota second yellow card, he clearly was too thin-skinned to handle the descent he got after the first yellow card. And that was just extraordinarily soft. Nothing to take away from what Tottenham did, given the circumstances around this match. They did what they needed to do with what was in front of them to secure a victory. But I don't think, given the circumstances, this is a clear data point of which team is superior. Do you? No, and we're going into the game, we were saying if there was a winner, they would pretty squarely announce themselves as a title contender, but that kind of went out the door in the, what, 26th minute when Curtis Jones got his red card. Um, 
just completely changed the game. And then obviously the Jota red card did so even further. Kind of hard to judge either team based on that. I will say, though, even though they were down to 10 and then 9 and Tottenham won the game, I think I might be more impressed with Liverpool just because of their grit. Like that game just that game just became bizarre after 30 minutes and then especially 60 or 70 minutes. And just, you know, it's hard to be too worried about tactics there because Tottenham's playing against nine people. Liverpool only has nine. And I guess in that sense, it just kind of comes down to, you know, the human condition. And I was very impressed with Liverpool's ability to kind of pull themselves up off the ground and try, try and try against all odds to hold on. And then obviously at the very last second, super unfortunate own goal. Kind of raises the question though, what's worse between Brighton getting beat 6-1 or would you rather lose on a last second own goal after like being under siege <laughs> on the road against the title rival? Um, yeah, it, it, uh, they were both brutal. There's one that would be hard to wrap my brain around. There's one that would uh, just make me feel feel insecure as a footballer. But, you know, it was weird because... Liverpool has lost so many people that were stalwarts and leaders in their locker room, whether it's Henderson, Fabinho, um, Bobby Firmino, who really always seemed to be a steadying influence, even when he was not starting, coming off the bench. But still, there were those moments last season where it looked like everybody was just kind of looking around helpless, like a game had passed them by, and they weren't going to have the energy or the grit to rescue themselves from a deficit. This season, even without those guys, they have the grit of Liverpool past. They did not flinch despite the setbacks. They grinded to the best of their ability. And again, an unfortunate own goal ended up being the decider, despite playing with 10 men for the majority of the match and nine for a significant portion. So I like you... Don't want to take anything away from Tottenham. Don't want to continue a nasty habit of never giving them credit. Yeah, I totally agree. But on the day, on the day, I do think that what Liverpool displayed in terms of being a title contender, in terms of drawing a stark contrast between this year's team and last year's team, I was really impressed. Yeah, no, I to, to give Tottenham credit for sure, it's not their fault the other team was you got to take what the defense gives you imploding at certain points but yeah it, it's just hard to announce them as title contenders considering they beat a handicapped liverpool side but i do think that they deserve a lot of credit for you know bearing down on them and taking advantage of ultimately it's just a little bit difficult to you know or I, I need to probably pump the brakes on setting title aspirations for them. But no, they've been one of the most impressive teams so far. They took care of business and they came from behind as they did against Arsenal. Like they have a new mentality. They have a new approach. They have the same number of points they did last season under Conte at this moment. So I'm I'm calming down a little bit on Spurs. But at the same time, they deserve a lot of credit for, um, you know, taking very quickly to this Ange ball. Absolutely. And for those keeping score at home, I will read you the current standings because I don't want you to be texting and driving or trying to go and flash score while driving. Currently, despite dropping all three points to none other than the Wolverhampton Wanderers, Man City is in first place with 18 points. Behind them, tied on goal differential in second place, Tottenham and Arsenal. 
Tottenham only has the tiebreaker because they've scored more goals, putting them in second and Arsenal in third. Behind them, Liverpool in fourth with 16 points. Then also in 15 points at five and six respectively, Aston Villa and Brighton, West Ham seventh, Newcastle eighth, and then Crystal Palace at nine, sitting ahead of Man United and Chelsea. So we saw Manchester United get beaten by Galatasaray in the Champions League. We saw that coming. You uh, you may or may not have tried to place a wager on it. How much worse can things get for Manchester United? How much worse could things eventually be for Eric Ten Hag? Do you expect him to survive through, I don't know, December 25th? Yeah, there's always more room to go. Where what did you say they're in? They're in tenth place. They've got nine points in seven matches. Yeah, so you know there's plenty of room below them. They've lost three of four at Old Trafford. <sighs> that could continue this weekend against Brentford, and they play Sheffield. Um, they're dead last in their Champions League group now, and they have two games coming up, or the next two games in that tournament are against Copenhagen, the team right above them. Um, if they don't pick up a lot of results very soon, yes, it will get worse. And it doesn't look like there's a lot of help on the way. They still have some pretty bad injuries. They've got people playing out of position. Um, Eric Ten Hag is starting to talk a lot, and blame's starting to get thrown around in that dysfunctional manner. Um, I am starting to wonder what his expiration date is there. I mean, he's it seems like he's got the hottest seat right now, no? Yeah, I mean, in that ecosystem, you really have to play ball and kind of respect and kiss the ring. Right. If you are causing the drama that it seems like he is trying to stir up to distract from the on-field performance or at least offload some of the blame. I don't think that's a constructive way to do it, especially at Old Trafford. But, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. Their Premier League schedule kind of softens up. Uh, They got four games plus the two against Copenhagen. I'd say it's make or break. Um, probably needs four points against Copenhagen and to climb up into sixth or seventh place from those Premier League matches. Other than that, he might be looking down the barrel come uh, Christmas time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I Again, another 50-50 split that he makes it to Boxing Day. And he'd have to do something significant. And, he, and again, my gut says, even though they haven't won in five matches, I kind of like Brentford against them. But we'll get to our picks later on. One other point of order from the Champions League, and we always got to talk about our boys, Real Madrid. In a compelling, compelling midweek match, they did top Napoli. And La Liga's number one versus number two matchup this past weekend. In first place, maybe the greatest team of all time, Hirona, arguably, is facing Real Madrid. I love that word arguably because like in, you can argue anything, right? You can certainly argue this. I don't know. We don't have to crawl down that rabbit hole. I've just always found that word to be interesting. But I, I totally lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> Hirona, arguably the greatest team of all time. <laughs> Took on Minnows who have been overperforming this season, Real Madrid. And in a shocking upset, Real Madrid was able to do business against the Titans of Verona, who they were unable to beat last season, right? 
I don't remember the initial fixture, but I do remember Hirona beating them 4-1, yeah, behind MLS alum, Tati Castellanos. Wow. That's our NYCFC boy. Shout out. How many times do we see him play? A couple of times. Uh, arguably infinite. Arguably infinite. But that's a guy that scraps. We love that guy. So that's been our Champions League, EPL, Syria, and La Liga recaps. Now it is time for the game that every young boy, young girl, and I don't know, people of other ages too, love to play, which is our each person picks a player every week who they think can score a goal but can't pick the same player twice. And whoever loses may or may not get eaten. Get Sorry. Eaten. <laughs> make it hate. Make it, make it hit by a rancid sandwich of the other person's choosing. I like that. No, loser gets eaten by an animal the other person picks. Okay. We'll do that. Um, it's going to be like a uh, Anchorman situation. We're going to have to have like a dog broker this. Doesn't that sound like the worst uh, roulette ever? Is like you and I play a game of, or I guess getting gambling games confused here, but like a round of poker where your wager is like what the other person will get mauled by. Yeah, there's got to be like a dystopian film that did that. Um, but at least we're not like in like Star Wars where it's like uh, you're going to get eaten by that crazy thing that lives at Jabba's Palace. Like just A24, hit us up. A24, please. Please hit us up. We've got ideas. And we got a podcast. Um, so, Steve, you're now up 3-2 after Caleb Wilson. My choice is blanked. And your choice. Did you pick, did you pick somebody from Luton? I did. I got a Luton goal from Carlton Morris. I feel very, very fortunate. And <laughs> I'm a big uh, go hatters go. If, if a British person heard me say go hatters go, they would probably vomit. Okay, picking a guy from Luton to score a goal and them scoring reminds me of like those times that like you, me, and Fitz would like start studying for a test in college at like three in the morning, not get any sleep, you know, doing the cue cards in the car. And then we get like an A minus or a B plus and walk out like we just won the World Series. <laughs> <laughs> well done, my friend. You lead three, two. So rules dictate that I go first. No, I go first so that I can't just piggyback you all the way to game week 38. That makes too much sense. Take it away. The floor is yours. This week, I am going with Darwin Nunez. i hedging my bets a little. I actually think Brighton has a really good chance in this game, but I think there's going to be goals. There's some question marks of availability in their attack. I think it's Darwin Nunez time. If he starts... Man, it's kind of a bold pick playing somebody you might not think will start. Given the injuries to their front line, you think he's going to probably slot in there. That's the thing is like I'm I'm not certain how many times this season I'm going to be positive that Darwin Nunez is starting. So I'm kind of <laughs> I'm flying a little close to the sun here, but I'm willing to take my chance on it. Okay, Chris. Well, the I'm this is a very grounded pick despite picking them on the road, but. I am going to be picking a player who will be facing Luton Town, who I've not picked yet, and that is Young Men Son. Um, I think, despite not being at home, this is as good of an opportunity for him to score as any. And um, fortunately, Pep Guardiola will not be calling this match. 
Well, if you're taking uh, a Spurs player on the road at Luton, then go Hatters go, I guess, again. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be my calling card this season. Fair enough. Well, when we come back on the Just for Kicks podcast, we will have the best betting tips in all known universes, but especially across this galaxy and those far, far away. And we're back to the Just for Kicks podcast, where we have the hottest betting tips in all of the galaxy. I'm going to do the honors because I do not want to um, make Steve utter anything painful for him. But I will ask him for this stat. When is the last time Manchester City has lost consecutive fixtures? The last time they lost back-to-back Premier League games was December 2018. That was 178 matches ago. Okay. So, by that logic. Several weeks. Yeah, a couple weeks. So, I know they're playing Arsenal. I know it's on the road. But if you can get plus money for Manchester City to win a match... Given how much of a known commodity they are, I think he got to take it. That's why I'm going to go with City plus 140 on the road against Arsenal. Steve, I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. It just, it, some things have to be speculative. Speculative. And moving along, continuing that we hope they continue their hot streak. They did it against Brighton. We hope they can do it on the road against Wolves. You can get plus money for Villa at plus 110. I think that's a lock as well. Wolves, again, have been all over the place. They just shocked City. But before that, they drew Luton. And before that, well, they've looked like a relegation side. So I really like Villa to take care of business. And then, you know, I was very conflicted on this match. And then... Steve pointed out about 70 things that made it quite obvious why the smart money is on Brighton when Liverpool travels south to play them this weekend. You can get Brighton at plus 200 to beat Liverpool. That's the third pick. They're all locks. It's easy money. You heard it here first. We hope you take care of business, and we hope that you gamble responsibly. That's City plus 140, Villa plus 110, and Brighton plus 200. So we had some massive matchups this weekend. West Ham, Newcastle, Brighton, Liverpool, and especially Arsenal, Manchester City. What do you think will be the biggest decider and what could be the title decider? Uh, Main thing I'm looking for in this match is the absence of Rodri and the inclusion of Declan Rice. See if that can tip the scales for either team. Um, Both teams are a little banged up. We finally made it to what was, when the fixtures came out, the marquee match of the season, but a lot of superstars are missing. Um, Man City has lost five of their 15 matches without Rodri. That's 33%, obviously. They only lose 7.5% of their overall matches with him. Um, Declan Rice has kind of transformed the Arsenal midfield, uh, given it a, or certainly the defensive triangle with him, Saliba, and Gabriel, but they're kind of struggling to create chances. Um, I don't think this game will look anything like we thought it would when we watched the Community Shield. Um, 
very interested to see how both managers approach this and see if that hole in Man City's midfield or that extra addition in Arsenal's can make the difference. If City were to beat Arsenal, how much of a psychological edge would they have moving forward, especially given the prior two fixtures? Up until the Community Shield, uh, or I guess that doesn't even count, City has 12 straight league wins against Arsenal. Psychologically, they need to prove that they can beat them. But what the impact has on the title race, psychologically or points-wise, I think comes down more to exactly how it plays out. Um, If they get bludgeoned or beat very late, I think that would be a pretty devastating blow. But um, I could definitely see this match going where it's a tight draw or a really well-played unlucky bounce and Arsenal somehow some way takes some positives from it but yeah it's going to be a fascinating match and it'll all just kind of depend on the rhythm of the game to see exactly what the um, lasting effect of it is I guess because I can even see a draw being a positive for both sides depending on how it comes about but certainly it's time for Arsenal probably to prove their medal and prove they belong in the same stage with City and the community shield does not count sorry uh, especially with all the voodoo around the community shield, yeah. Um, we need to show that they can shake that and announce their arrivals as at least equals for this match. They've got Man City coming to their house with a plethora of injuries. Rodri and KDB are out. They have a chance to go ahead of them in the table. This is about as good as the opportunity is going to get. It's it, They need to grow up and take advantage of it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And again, the city side without Rodri is a very, very different city side. So we're not exactly seeing them in traditional form, but it will be very, very telling to see what Arsenal can do, even though City's the underdog in this match. So make sure to check out West Ham, Newcastle. That's at 9 on Sunday on NBC Sports. And then make sure to flip between Arsenal City at 11 on Peacock and Brighton Liverpool also at 11 on Peacock. Before we go, Steve, what fun facts do you have for all of our wonderful listeners? Thanks to Curtis Jones' early red card last week, Liverpool has now played 158 minutes with less than a full 11 or a man down. That is 25% of the season. What? Yeah. So a quarter of this year, they have not been at full strength. That's Absolutely preposterous. Um, Say what you want about the refereeing, just in any circumstance, that's an outrageous handicap to be dealing with. The other one is this week, um, we saw a couple of Man City streaks in. They lost to Newcastle and Wolves in the last couple weeks. The loss to Newcastle was their first loss in a match of consequence in 35 matches. Wolves, thanks to that second goal, um, is the first time that City has allowed multiple goals in 41 matches. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's a stat. And again, <laughs> I want to go back to the first one. So Liverpool, despite only playing three quarters of the season at full strength, were literally a last gasp own goal away from being at the top of the table. Wild. Yeah, and two of the other matches they've gotten the red cards and they've won. Um, <laughs> pretty, it was both, pretty resilient. And not only did they win, they were both 3-1, weren't they? Uh, that might be right, yeah. I, yeah, it's nuts. Well, thanks for listening to the Jessica Kicks podcast. Make sure to check us out on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere that you get your podcasts. You can also check us out on Instagram and threads where we are 
the Just for Kicks podcast. Make sure to check us out on TikTok as well, Just for Kicks podcast, and the artist formerly known as Twitter, now so coolly known as X. Man, isn't that hip? It's so sleek. <laughs> so sleek. Our handle on that is Just for Kicks FC. And again, you can access all our episodes. You can enter the mainframe. You can hang out with Neo, the architect, <laughs> Morpheus, and the rest of the gang by going to justforkicks.soccer. It's been a pleasure chatting with you guys. He's Steve. I'm Joey. I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend catching all the amazing soccer, football, soccer, football action that is in store. Good night and good luck. Shout out Fluminense, who just had a second half comeback to make the Copa de la Dores final. Ooh. Yeah, you can barely see the field. It's so foggy. Love those cats. Love those cats. Well, shout out to all the Blake Sims, Roboros, all the mamas and the papas. We love that y'all listen to. We hope you have a good night, and we hope you have a good morning. Stay fresh. Stay clean. Stay clean.